0: Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is episode 147, and it drops on Halloween. And so I thought, well, I'm going to tell a scary story, a really scary story. You want to keep the lights on when you listen to this, because I am going to talk about what it is like if you are a showrunner on a brand new situation comedy. That sucks. And what that is like until you are finally put out of your misery. Like I said, it's a terrifying, chilling story. And I'm also going to talk about what it is like to be a director on a show that is canceled. So, two horror stories this week on Hollywood and Levine. Now that the fall season is beginning to settle in and we're starting to really get a sense of the winners and losers, here is what it's like behind the scenes if you're on one of those new shows that's in trouble. Now, this is from a showrunner's perspective on a comedy, okay? The actors, I'm sure, have their own hell, but this is my podcast, and so this is what it is like if you are the showrunner of a bomb, Well, first of all, back in May, you know, when the show gets picked up and you're on the fall schedule, even though you're up against a top ten show... Still, everything is just lollipops and roses. It's fantastic. There's announcement parties in New York. They fly you back. They give you tickets to Broadway shows, really good Broadway shows. Okay, not Hamilton, but still, you know, it's not Chicago now starring Flo from Progressive Insurance. Still, it's really fun, like I said, parties, parties. Shrimp Mountains, stuff like that. It's fantastic. Now, the summer is filled with interviews and pre-production. And that's kind of fun, too. You know, when you're talking about how unique and great your show is. Meanwhile, everyone is talking about how unique and great their show is. And there is the TCA Summer Convention and all of the television critics from around the country converge in los angeles and every one of the new shows gets their own panel discussion and so you go up there and you're talking about how great your show is and you look out at a sea of these television critics and they all have computers and they're all checking their email and they're all surfing the web no one's listening to you they have to sit through 400 of these stupid things they don't give a shit about your show but still you're up there and then there's Another big party and more mountains of shrimp. Okay, well, come early August, then the cast arrives. And then you start actually making the shows. At first, of course, it's wonderful and everybody loves each other. And then as you sort of get in from week to week, you will discover that at least one cast member is a giant pain in the ass. He may just be high maintenance. He may be a very good actor and it's worth it when you see what comes out on the screen. But it also may be just somebody who has this huge ego and, like I said, will basically just kill you. It's a great line from Stephen Botchko once who said that the first year the actors work for you, the second year you guys work together, and the third and subsequent years you work for the actors. Well, you still have to deal with those initial pain-in-the-ass actors in the first season. And the others are pretty much on their best behavior. Again, everybody's having a good time. You know, they've got a series. They, They got steady work. They beat the odds. It's incredibly hard to get a pilot on the air and they know it during august they know it okay you will know if your show is in trouble long before the actors do you will discover that it is harder and harder to break stories than it should be at this point in the life of a series and i go back to a sequel of cheers anybody remember a show called the tortellis Well, the Tortellis, this came about, oh, I would say maybe seven, eight years into the Cheers run. But NBC talked the Charles brothers into spinning off Carla's ex-husband, Nick, and his now new wife, Loretta, played by the insane Gene Kasem. And they thought, okay, this is going to be a a fun spinoff. So they set this show in Las Vegas, and the Charles Brothers asked me and David Isaacs if we would write an episode, and we said sure. So we went into the Charles Brothers' office, and we sat with them for an afternoon trying to come up with a story, and we couldn't come up with one. Everything we all came up with, no one seemed to really spark to, and then... We said, all right, we'll just pick it up the next day, which we did. And eventually, after two days, we came up with a story, kind of cobbled together the beats and went off to write it. And I said to Glenn Charles, "Um, what episode is this that we're writing? And he said, three. And I said, episode three, and it is taking two days to find a story? You're in shit shape with this show. And they acknowledged, and yep, sure enough, the Tortellis was a short-lived program on NBC. We did a pretty nice script, though, by the way. Uh, Anyway, once you get the footage, that also starts to give you some indication of the weaknesses of your show, notably your cast, All of a sudden, you see what they can do and, more importantly, what they can't do. So you start going, okay, we can't give her those kind of jokes. Uh, Oh, we, we can't give him anything physical to do. And this can be particularly alarming if the weak links of the shows were all of the people that the network foisted upon you. And that's a big problem that you have to face if you've got a network show is that you have to have your cast approved by the network. And chances are the network is going to foist somebody upon you that they like, that they want to see in a series. So you are stuck with this locks and he's the star of your show. And now it's week three and you realize – this guy is not funny if you put him in two chicken suits. But still, the show has not gone on the air, and so everybody is relatively calm. But then the reviews come out. Ooh. If they're bad or even mixed, get prepared to go down to the stage and talk your cast off the ledge and watch. You can get Glowing reviews, you can get 10 great reviews, one bad review, just one, and suddenly your actors stop trusting you. Now they start questioning everything. Everything. You are somewhat under siege. They hate the stories, they hate their lines, they hate the sets, they hate their costumes, they hate everything. You are under siege. And what will be particularly galling is that you agree with a lot of the criticisms in the reviews, okay? You only went in that direction or hired that locks because you were forced to. And yet, you can't say that. You have to take the bullet. That's part of the job. Suck it up. It's like being the manager of the Dodgers. And then the show premieres. And like I said, tanks, horrible death, which these days, you know, we used to kid when Cheers premiered and got a 19 share. We used to say, nobody is watching this damn show. Well, a 19 share is like mm, 22 million people. Well, you take a show like Sunnyside, I think they got something like 1.2 million people watching the premiere. I mean, this is, NBC, this is a national broadcast network and only a million people are watching. I mean, a million people are probably watching Bravo. I mean, they're probably watching Cupcake Wars. And you're NBC and you have a show, an expensive show, and you're getting a million and change to watch its premiere. Okay? Nobody is Watching. Well, once those ratings come out, of course, now your actors go batshit. After all, it's their faces up there, and I get that. You know, they consider bad ratings a personal rejection by America. <laughs> okay? Because when there's like 300 million people out there and only 1 million watch you, yeah. Okay? You can understand their distress. And if your show features a big-name star, then you are really in the ninth ring of hell. You go down to the stage and you do your best to reassure them all, but good luck. Now you start getting the calls. Calls from the actors wanting to come into the office and talk about their characters. Calls from the managers and agents for the actors claiming you're not servicing their clients. At least one class member will cry in your office. Hopefully it's an actress. Now the network and studio descend upon you like locusts at this point. If you thought you got notes before, (laughs) just wait. Now it is a constant barrage of mandatory suggestions. And remember, too, that every outline had to be approved by the network and was. Every draft had to be approved by the network and was. But suddenly, they look at you like you killed their dog. It's not their fault at all. It's all you. So now they have a blizzard of suggestions, and you have to execute them all. Everything is questioned. Hair color props fire this actor throw out this story arc forget of course that they were the ones that suggested it in the first place it's up to you to fix it and at this point forget about ever seeing your family again you are working 15 hours a day seven days a week scripts are thrown out there's a level of tension on the stage that you can cut with a knife you go down for a run through and the cast is glaring at you. Everything is second guessed. The show's ratings for week two and three come out, they're no better. And you talk about well, the live plus three, and well, maybe people are gonna watch this show thirty days after it per they're not. They're not. It's a bomb. There's a lot of rationalization. You know, uh, we were hurt by the baseball playoffs. Uh, oh, we have a bad time slot. Uh, uh, we didn't get enough promos. Um, uh, they didn't air us in Salt Lake City. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to come way back once they see the show, once they sample it, uh, because the people who have sampled it love it, and they're going to tell their friends we're going to have great word of mouth, and by November, we're going to be a hit. No, no. No. It's it's down. You are out for the count, and you will go through the ratings, and you will look for any any glean of optimism. You will go, oh oh, look at this. We went up zero point. Two in women, 25 to 34 in Houston. And look at this. Last week, we held 62% of our lead. In this week, we're holding 64%. And, and, and the show that was uh, on last year, well, they only held 59%. And, and, and we tested so well. But in your heart, you know. So now you are killing yourself. No one's happy. And in all likelihood, you know that the episodes that you're currently working so hard on will never see the flickering light of television. All the while, the star is calling you at home. One of your best writers quits. I mean, for them, it's like, (sighs) Jesus, you know, life's too short. Who needs this shit? You've put on 10 pounds and you've come down with pneumonia and possibly, just, just possibly... It's all stress-related. You don't care to go online because you know that on Twitter you're being buried. Social networks are absolutely crushing you. And finally, you get that call from the network putting you out of your misery. You know, you say all the right things. Oh, shucks. You know, we, we really thought we had turned a corner creatively. You know, this is really devastating. This is, this is a huge shock. But you hang up the phone and you cheer. A two-ton weight has been lifted off your shoulders. And just like that, it's over. You're free. The phones stop. It's quiet. Blessed Quiet. Yes, you're disappointed. You have feelings of guilt and remorse. Yeah, but that's what scotch is for. And you'll be able to start drinking that scotch in the afternoon because you're free. And those writers who texted congratulations when your show got picked up will text you congratulations again. Nope, it's not winning an award, but it is the next best thing along those same lines on two occasions i was directing an episode of a show that got canceled midweek now the question becomes well do you just pull the plug and send everyone home or do you drag the dead horse across the finish line just to shoot it do you complete the episode and most of the time You try to complete the episode. I mean, after all, the show is budgeted for it already. And if you don't do the episode, you save the studio money do you really give a shit about saving the studio money? No, of course, except it's clearly a thankless exercise. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to the stars and whether they decide they want to go through it. Now, in both occasions, I had really good stars. In one case, it was almost perfect. And Nancy Travis was the star. And this was unlike my previous scenario of the new show that is constantly in trouble and gets canceled mercifully. In this case, we were in our second season... And we were all crushed when the show got canceled. This was episode 34 we were making. On the other hand, the other show that I was directing that got canceled was a first season flop called Encore, Encore starring Nathan Lane. And here's the thing. Nathan Lane had 42 other projects he could go to on Broadway or whatever. And he decided, no, let's... Make the episode. Nancy Travis came to the same conclusion. And for Nathan, he said, and it's really true we're doing this for the crew. Because if we pull the plug now, then all the camera guys don't get paid for the week, and all the boom operators, and best boys, and jobs I have no idea what they're doing. Just a bunch of guys running around with walkie talkies named Dave. But for the sake of the crew, so that they have at least one more paycheck we'll go through it and so we did we're continued throughout the week but now people are crying they're constantly on the phone to their agents is there something else that they could possibly do is there any other jobs out there and yeah everyone is like walking around moping some people are crying and then you go okay let's do comedy <laughs> And we did. Then you came to show night. In both of these cases, it was a multi-camera show shot in front of a live studio audience. And at this point, I had to give the speech to the actors, which was, look, this probably won't get on the air. We know that. But a long time ago, you wanted to be an actor. And you're... Desire to be an actor was not so much to make millions of dollars or to be seen by millions of people, but because you just got a satisfaction, a joy out of performing. So tonight, go back to those early days and just think you have a chance tonight to perform in front of 200 people. You have a chance to do a comedy and have people laugh. Forget about the fact that the show is canceled. Forget about the fact that the studio wants you to clear out your dressing room in 24 hours. For the next couple of hours, you are just performing. You are doing what you love. And you know what? It worked because both shows, neither of which aired, really turned out well and the actors really rose to the occasion and i actually thought from encore encore and i directed a bunch of episodes of that series that final episode was nathan lane's very best <laughs> And that'll do it for this very scary edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get a hold of me, you know my email address by now, Hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. Other than that, please subscribe if you haven't. I could use a five-star review, and a lot of people have been very nice and have actually written reviews, and those are very helpful. I read them, by the way, and I'm proud to know me when I do read some of those, but Like I said, I really do appreciate it. And so if you have a couple of minutes, uh, you might want to do that. Hey, this is better than plugging my books or asking you to buy something. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine, episode 147. And I will talk to you again next week. Hollywood and Levine.